Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 25th. 2021, and this is episode 2943 of the Survival Podcast. We're having an interview today uh, with Jason Schaller on building a firearms-based content business. This will be a great interview because if you like guns, and most of you do, there'll be stuff in it for you. If you like building businesses, and most of you do, then you know there'll be stuff in it for you. If you care about free speech and you care about people being able to get information and put information out, there'll be stuff in it for you. And it's also just a lighthearted, enjoyable conversation, which is a little different than yesterday's, which was more intense and a bit some ranty stuff and what have you. So I think it's a good counterbalance. And uh, so I'll have our guest on again, Jason Schaller who is a longtime member of the community. Actually, he's been listening to TSP since I used to do this show in my car. That's a long time. And uh, we'll have a great conversation for you in just a minute. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day today. First up, we're talking about guns today. Do you know what has to go in guns? Ammo. You know what a gun without ammo is? Overpriced club. That's what a gun without ammo is. So you need to get on over to a little website of one of our sponsors, BulkAmmo.com, where you'll find the ammo you're looking for in bulk at great pricing and lightning-fast shipping straight to your door, equipped with a discount. Everybody's hard, you know, trying hard to get ammo today. How about getting your ammo with a discount if you're an MSB member? Learn more at BulkAmmo.com. Next up, the other precious metal. Uh, the real precious metal, right? Because we just talked about ammo. That's copper-jacketed lead, right? What about gold and silver? Gold and silver belong in your investment portfolio. I've been recommending precious metals to the tune of 5 to 10% of your net wealth, right? Not net worth, net wealth, all wealth combined. Since I first started doing this show, before there were sponsors, I said put 5 to 10% of your net wealth in precious metals. That recommendation has not changed. I am more of a 5% guy. I'm okay with up to 10. Uh, and some people want to do more, and that's fine. But the whole point of precious metals is if I buy an American Silver Eagle, it's an American Silver Eagle. If I get it from our sponsor, Jam Bullion, or I get it from Monex or Atmex or Lear Capital or Joe Blow's Silver Shop, right? it's the same. That's the whole point. It's fungible. Fungibility is part of precious metals. So why would you pay more? And the answer is only because you hate yourself and you don't like money. And if you're investing in gold and silver, you should like money. You shouldn't hate money. So pay less at Jam Bullion because they cost less than all of these big, giant silver houses. And then you also get a discount if you're an MSB member. And then you also get free shipping right to your door. And then if there ever is a problem, which just there just hasn't been one in like eight years, like not even a little customer service issue, but if there ever is and you email me, then the, the president of the company, Michael, I can get to him by email like just almost instantly. Like unless the guy's on an airplane, I hear back like within minutes. So why would you buy your silver and gold anywhere but the company that supports the content you love, gives you a great price, gives you a discount, gives you free shipping, and has accessibility to their president, jmbullion.com. With that, let's go ahead and dig on into this. I wanted to just start off, set the tone uh, for a gun-based show with a quote from one of my favorite people from the world of guns, Jeff Cooper, Colonel Jeff Cooper. And I just love this quote by him, and it's our, it's our graphic for today's episode, a quote from him. Remember the first rule of gunfighting, have a gun. 
have a gun. And someone that will talk to us about having guns and gun content and learning more about guns online is hanging on the line right now. We're going to bring him on with that. Hey, Jason, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm Tell glad. This is, uh, good. Just saying that as a longtime listener, this is kind of a bucket list item for me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, Before we dig into our topic today, you're building a firearms content-based business. We're going to talk about doing that, uh, the ups and downs of it, probably talk about just some general gun stuff today, too, uh, and how it's interesting to be doing this primarily on the YouTube platform, which is the the biggest video platform. And if you want to build a content-based business, probably the easiest on-ramp right now is YouTube, but they're not exactly friendly to, to guns or anything that's not liberal ideology um, and the irony of that and, and what it's like. But before we do that, I'd like people to know who the hell Jason is. So so take us back. I don't know. You're spacing out in in high school or just, you know, college or whatever, and you're trying to figure out what to do with oh. your life. And then, like, you know, you're out in the street and you got to figure out what to do with your life. How do you end up in the firearms industry and, and doing what you do today? Well, I'll go a little farther back than high school and all that to when I was about seven is when I learned how to shoot. Um, I learned how to shoot and camp and hunt in eastern Pennsylvania. And um, I was always the kid that just took everything apart. And um, oftentimes I have extra parts left over. But, um, you know, I just I just started taking things apart, putting them back together, going forward in my life. Uh, at 21, I started competing with guns. I started doing shooting competitions. And uh, that's really when I started getting, getting interested into how guns work. You know, how can I make this gun work a little bit better, get a little more of an edge? And um, we moved off the East Coast. I became an FFL. I was an FFL for 10 years. And then um, stopped being an FFL and just started focusing on doing YouTube videos of taking guns apart and putting them back together. So you uh, you know, you stopped renewing your FFL license? Is, is that right? I, I did. I actually huh. turned my license in early. Um, one, of the, one of the problems we have here in Montana is we have a huge influx of outsiders that are coming in, and they move to Montana and think we have no gun laws. And in 10 years, I've had the, I've had, I've had problems with seven people, six of them within the last six months before I decided to stop doing, um, being an FFL. And it's tough getting people out because I, my FFL was tied to my house and it's a little tough to get irate people out of your house. Oh, I see. I was going to say, I, I would have thought maybe you would have maintained it just for yourself and stopped like advertising publicly that you're available for transfers just because of what it what it would do for you in acquisition, like you know being able to order well, things or whatever. We had thought about that. Um, I have I have a podcast that I just started not that long ago where I actually talked about ten things I learned as an FFL, and one of them really was is not doing it out of your house. So I I have no doubt that I'm going to have another FFL in you know in my future. I'm just going to do things a lot different. Um, that FFL will be tied to a shop that has a separate address of my house, even if it's on my property. 
and it creates some other things like that. Like if I have an FFL tied to my house, my entire house is open to inspection by the ATF. Yeah, I've always understood that, and I can see how that would be an issue. I uh, That's one of my two reasons that I haven't, and it's kind of like the FFL light, I guess, haven't done the CNR thing, uh, Cure and Relics yeah. for the audience. There was two reasons. One was, even though it's a lot less likely to be inspected, you can be, and you've basically ceded all rights to privacy in your home from inspection by law enforcement. That blows. Uh, the other side was, I can either have more Bitcoin or a whole bunch of really cool old military guns. And if I yeah. give myself the ability to order military guns the way my grandfather used to be able to order a shotgun out of the Sears catalog, I'm going to have less Bitcoin. So that's why I decided yeah. I needed to not do that, that I didn't have the uh, – well, nothing to do with the responsibility of, of, of being my own FFL. It was the responsibility of able, able to point, click, and buy like old Yugoslavian military guns and stuff like that, that I, I didn't have the, uh, the spending uh, – the withholding of spending capability. <laughs> so, so what's funny is my wife used to have my login to Gunbroker, and she collects – some guns. And, uh, you know, one day I got a call from my, you know, I was at my day job and she called me up. She goes, I did something bad. And I'm like, what'd you do? And then she goes through this whole story about, um, she was, she bought a gun and it was more expensive than she had really wanted to, but it, it wasn't that bad. And yeah, it, it, it gets tough when you're in FFL and you can buy things at cost. And even if you can't buy it, you know, you can't buy it at cost or, or wholesale. If you buy it on the auction sites, well, you don't have to pay somebody to have that, do that transfer for you. And it takes a lot of restraint to not just go nuts and buy stuff. Yeah, I understand, man. So let's, um, let's turn to the main subject now, um, with YouTube. Is, is it true that YouTube is not friendly to firearm content creators? Because I think, Maybe part of it is we just assume that because, well, all the other things are not friendly to. But I'm, you know, I think of people like Hickok45, who's got a gazillion followers. He's been around forever. He hasn't been canceled. I've never heard him bitch about it. And, and I think, think about like, I'm not a firearms content creator, but I've put up plenty of content with firearms in them or about firearms. And I've had some smacks and some warnings and some bad boys from YouTube. I've never heard a word or a blip about any of my firearms content. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that YouTube is hostile against firearms, but I wouldn't say that they're friendly to it either. Um, you know, the one thing that YouTube is friendly to is money, and that money comes in the form of ad revenue. So, you know, guns can be a very emotional for people. So they tend to tread lightly on the guns, And they tolerate things that have low revenue. So, you know, for instance, there's, there's a, um, you have monetization policies with YouTube and there's certain things that you can publish and, and monetize and some things that you can't publish and monetize. And they're very friendly to things that they can make money off of. And, you know, so. When they can't make money off of it, they'll actually repress some of the that content. Yeah, I guess I really didn't think about that, right? Like, so there is, is YouTube friendly from a standpoint of will they take your account down? Will they call it a strike? Will they uh, 
take the content down. That's one level of friendly. The other level of friendly is, will they allow you to make money on the content? Will they allow advertisements on the content? Yeah, and I guess exactly. I guess the thing with the guns is there's a there's a pretty big list of advertisers that are in kind of even if they're not directly guns, they're in the space. So I I don't know. Do you get a lot of videos demonetized or or not? Uh, yeah, I get I I get my fair share of of. Uh, demonetized or, or actually limited monetization. I was going to say, do you get more of the, cause that's what I get more frequently limited, yeah. limited monetization. Um, and, and I'll, so I'll follow up on that before you finish. I'm sorry, but sure. do you well, do what I do? The second I get that I appeal and not necessarily guns, but I would say 95% of the time when I appeal, I, I go back the next day and it's approved. Now the other side of it is it always happens Right when you release the video and you get like that huge surge of views and then yeah they turned it back on but you've you've missed your big initial hit. Yeah. Yeah, I've been getting that um I I always appeal. Um the other you know, I look through the guidelines, I try to follow the monetization monetization guidelines, but the, one of the problems with YouTube is that you have non-gun people making decisions about whether they're going to monetize your, your content. So they, based on their really, own rules, which they don't understand because they don't understand they don't, guns, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I had the video I released last week. It it has been sitting in my channel for three or four weeks, fully monetized, just not released. The second I hit go on Friday, it went yellow for limited monetization. And it was doing really good at the beginning and I appealed it. And three days later, they turned it green for full monetization, but I lost that, that ad revenue. And you never from. get, you never get the hit back in, unless it, yeah. unless it grows legs and it becomes like a long term. Like you, you love those videos. Like I've got my stupid one on batteries for DeWalt. Like, has two million views or something like that, and it gets two, three hundred a day, right? Like, and that's one in a, that's a unicorn video, right? Like, most videos, you get the majority of your views in that first week, and really in that first 48, 72 hours. It, you know, it depends, especially with my channel. I'll give you a depends. The content I released last week, yes, it, it was, it, it's a, it's a short to midterm gain for that video. Some of my evergreen content takes months or years to build. You know, I go through a disassembly and reassembly of a Winchester Model 90, you know, 94. People are not going to rush to see that video. They're going to rush to see that video when they have a problem. And that those are the videos I don't worry about so much because that's a long game. But, yeah, like, uh, you know, I did a, a gun versus gun video last week. That I was hoping for that that initial surge, and yeah, I, I lost the revenue on that. You know, that's interesting. Like, so I guess the other thing that happens, like Guns and Ammo, could come out featuring a story on like some old gun or something, and your video's sitting there. It's been there for two years, and then all of a sudden, everybody's researching it because yep. I remember back in the '80s, you could buy, and God, why didn't we buy all of them? Um, you could buy like three. 
6.5 by 55 Swedish Mausers for like 78 bucks. Three of them. Yeah. Right? And it was it, it, like you could order them and, and, and get them delivered to your gun shop and go pick them up. And they charge you 10 bucks. So 86 bucks and you had three Swedish Mausers. And it was like guns and ammo or somebody came out with an article on sporterizing them which has probably caused more of those to be butchered than ever. But they were an amazingly accurate gun for what they were, and they sporterized nice. And in a year, you know, it was hard to get one. It was You're paying twice what you used to pay for three to get one. And so I, I guess that in your space, with anything like that that's kind of um, model-specific, caliber-specific, whatever, you could you could hit, like, kind of that, like, latent home run, too. Like, you could release something that's interesting, people check it out, but then something happens, and all of a sudden everybody wants to know about the 7mm 08 or something. I, I will tell you where I get a lot of my surge is actually whenever a politician starts talking about banning guns. Because, you makes, know, some of my guns sense. I have... Well, I'll have, you know, I have, I have videos about how to disassemble and reassemble an AR. Well, most of it, because some of it, I, it the reassembly of the lower ended up getting pulled. But um, I will see, you know, a politician will talk about that or the big thing, and I hate using this word, but the ghost guns. Um, you know, people want to build their own AR. And they talk about banning something. People go like, oh, how do I build this thing? And I will get I will get a rush every time that there's a politician that starts talking, you know, weird about I'm going to ban this. Funny uh, how you you know they, the, your enemy can be your friend if you're positioned right. Yeah. And especially the ones that talk about it, get a lot of press for it, but have no hope in doing it. That's the best yep. one because then we get a bunch of new people into guns. We get people like you get a big hit from it, and and they're not going to get anything done anyway. Those are the yeah. best, right? I mean. Well, that's what we used to say about Obama. He was, you know, gun salesman of the year, eight years running. I mean, all he did was just sold guns. He didn't ban anything. Man, I'll tell you, down, down here in Texas, gun shows are like church. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a thing, right? And during the Obama years, gun shows were like Lollapalooza. Like, it was assholes and elbows everywhere you turned around. You could barely move. And there was, like, there was also an excitement at them. And uh, if you went in and, you know, you can sell privately, period. So, obviously, you can sell privately at a gun show. That's not a loophole. That just is the fact you can always sell privately unless your state has, has outlawed it. If you walked around in, in one of those with a, a rifle on your back or whatever, like, every fight, sir, do you want to sell that? Sir, do you want to sell it? And, and my best friend and I went to... The first gun show of the year, early 2017, like right around like the New Year's holiday, after Trump got elected, it was like a funeral for somebody yeah. nobody liked. Like it was just like two two months earlier, or maybe maybe six months earlier, or whatever. You know, you go in and the guy's got like a Barrett single shot sniper rifle, uh, bolt action sniper rifle, and it would have like a sign on it said, "Better get it before Obama bans it." And then you go in like a year later after Trump took over and it was like crickets and, you know, like half the vendors. And it was crazy. And it was like, you guys understand. And I guess that psychology, that's part of being a good marketer is understanding that psychology, even when it's not real. I mean, it's not like there were no threats to guns when Trump was around. It just was perceived to be less. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, it the content 
you know, on the content side, the same thing happens to us. Um, and definitely when I was in FFL, you know, I, I was in FFL through Obama. And man, that was, those were some great times. And then, you know, towards the end when, um, when Trump was in office and towards the end of my license there, it was, it was tough. I mean, when the, when the, when I surrendered my license, the ATF came to pick up paperwork and the, the agent, she was just scratching her head because home FFLs don't do a lot of business. And she's like, okay, let's, you know, let's see your 4473s. And I'm pulling like boxes of them out. And she was doing some quick math and she's like, you averaged two guns per day over 10 years. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was crazy. But if you look at my, at my log, yeah, if you look at my log at the end of that, when Trump was in office, it just dropped off. It's amazing too. It really is. It's like the worst thing for guns is Democrats, but the best thing for gun sales is Democrats. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's crazy, man. So um, why would you start a YouTube channel? Like we talked about how YouTube's not exactly fair. Uh, so if you wanted to be in the, the gun content business, why YouTube? Is it just that's where the eyeballs are? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. I mean, what people don't realize is that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, and it feeds into the first largest, which is Google. So if you want to get a message out there, YouTube is easy. Start up a channel. It doesn't take much to start a channel up. Start putting content out there, and then it'll start gaining traction. And when people start doing things, you know, searches in, in Google, they'll find your content. So if you do your content correctly, where you do these things called chapters, where it's, let's just say I'm doing a reassembly of a 1911 and I do a chapter where it's like, you know, you know, in, how to install the hammer of a 1911. Google will pick that up. And if somebody starts typing, you know, how to install the hammer of a 1911, you'll start seeing YouTube videos at the top of search. No, I, I, I get that because the one I mentioned about batteries, you know, um, that most of that traffic comes from Google. It, 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 people go on Google and why won't my batteries charge on DeWalt or whatever? And like, there is certain things, especially a little bit long tail, like not like cell phone or, you know, uh, gun, but like when you get specific, if you have a properly titled video, that video can really dominate the Google organic search results really, really heavily. And you know that there's two reasons for that. One, because people like video, so it's good, solid content. And it generally is a great way to get an answer because most search engine inquiries, that's what people need to understand. It's a question, right? I want an answer to something or I wouldn't be doing this. But the other side is since Google and YouTube are the same thing, it benefits them, right? There's nothing oh, like absolutely. providing a result that sends somebody off your site to a another one of your sites that you own control and monetize. Right. And that's, that's good for Google. Yeah. yeah it's totally good for Google. Cause you know, when I publish a video, I also publish it on my website the same day. And what's funny is, you know, it's, it's embedded from YouTube onto my own website and I do a short article. It's 300 character or 300 words, just enough to get the Google SEO going for it. 
but it will always pick up that YouTube video before my own web page because they own that. Do, do you, you know, can you make money with this model uh, specifically just from the YouTube revenue stream? Uh, some. <laughs> It's, uh, honestly, you know, since the, the adpocalypse of 2017, the ad revenue has dropped off. Uh, you don't make a lot of money, especially, you know, when we were talking earlier about things being limited monetization. Gun content gets limited monetization, whereas before it was fully monetized. So you don't get a whole lot of, of ad revenue from YouTube. Where channels really make their money is on affiliate marketing, paid promotions, um, and that type of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, because it would seem to me that there is, and the more you build, the more this would be true, tremendous opportunity for a company like Smith Wesson or an annual manufacturer, somebody that wants to sell more product to do you know, product placement, advertising, et cetera, in a direct relationship. Um, and I, I, I've seen it to where, like, I think once you get to a certain size, it almost doesn't matter what you are in. Like, there are people that want you to mention them. So, like, when I think of, like, one of my, I love cooking, right? So one of my favorite channels is a dude named uh, Guga, and he does Guga Foods. He's got, like, 2.7 million subscribers, Like, for a cooking chat, it's crazy. But, like, one of his big advertisers is a video game company. Well, he doesn't, he, I don't, I, I don't think this guy plays video games. I really don't, right? Like, and I definitely don't think he plays, like, these role-playing modern games. He's, he's, like, my age or whatever. We don't do that. And, uh, but I, I think that video game company's, like, won't give a shit. He's got 2.7 million people paying attention to him, right? Like, when you watch, uh, like, a TV show, right? Like a medical mystery show or something. Like you see advertisements for, I don't know, freaking electronics, right? Because once you get to a certain size, people don't even, you know, advertisers know if I get in front of enough people, I'm going to get business. And then if you can typecast that advertisement into ammo, reloading equipment, guns, accessories, it's even more targeted and more powerful and you probably command more money. Yeah, it, totally. I mean, I've seen I've seen content creators where they're pushing, you know, uh, VPNs. It has nothing to do with guns, but you know, they have such a huge following. People will be like, "Hey, well, maybe you know, they'll 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 see something about you know government censorship or privacy or something like that," and they're like, "Oh, hey, I saw that ad. Maybe I should try this thing out." Well, so, I mean, like that is actually a case of like one-off overlap. Right, because okay, yeah. I'm watching a gun channel. I believe in gun freedom, uh, and I obviously use the internet, or I wouldn't be watching a gun channel on the internet. And hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm probably not very friendly to the overall idea of government snooping on my shit. So now you've created the association. Yeah, totally. Um, and one thing to realize, you know, you talked about, you know, Smith and Wesson doing advertising. You know, the gun industry is a lot like the tobacco industry. They can't, there, there are certain things that they just are not allowed to advertise on certain platforms. So instead of directly advertising, let me get a content creator and 
you know, I, they'll do the advertising for me, but I didn't directly advertise. Uh, that's a good point. It's a lot like um, the healthcare industry, right? When like, or like uh, supplements or whatever. Like, I can't yep. if I make you know Jack Spearco Super Duper Vitamin Complex. I can't go out and go. This has been shown to clinically reduce the chances you'll get cancer by fully, you know, you know, seeing to your stuff. But if somebody wants to testify and says, "Hey, I use Jack Super Duper Vitamin Complex and I get better night's sleep. Uh, I don't hurt anymore. Whatever." Uh, they can do it, and I can even echo that, but I can't yeah. make the claim, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, going through the whole, you know, pandemic, and I'm using air quotes on pandemic, gun, you know, gun shows and even trade shows dried up because nobody was, they weren't holding them. So some of these companies actually switched over to using, you know, social media influencers, Where companies were that were just not friendly to you know gun, you know content creators suddenly became friendly because they got to get their message out and well not many people read magazines anymore so but everybody watches YouTube and since everybody is stuck indoors too they're watching YouTube well I can get my message to them and get around all the stuff by doing that. I wonder if there's anybody who's built a really good like connect connect uh, influencers with advertisers platform, uh, specifically for the places that are less well served. I guess it'd be you know because I know um, I can't know I don't remember what they're called now, but there's a maybe they're still called this Isaiah. They started out as a site called Paper Post. I mean before TSP existed, so we're like 15 years back where people were paid to blog about things, and then they became more of an influencer platform. And now they are like, you know, if you have a million Instagram followers, they'll connect you with somebody that does hair care products or some shit like that. And, like, it seems like there's a there's a hole here that's probably not as big a market, but there is probably, like, if, if you and I, like, brainstormed for, like, an hour, we'd probably come up with, like, the top ten, like, firearms would be one of them, like, the top ten yep. industries that are underserved from this... From, from this standpoint, and then, you know, like creating a directory on both sides. Like, that, I'm not going to do it. I don't have time, but that seems like an opportunity for somebody out there in the audience. Yeah, there's, like you said, there, there are, aver, or, not, I don't want to say advertisers. There are websites that do hook up social media influencers to brands. But when you get into something that's regulated, it's kind of hands off. No one wants to touch it because no one wants to be the, the company who hooked a social media person up to a gun company and then there was a mass shooting. And so that's been kind of hands off, but I, I think it would be, you know, it's kind of self-serving to me because I'm a content creator. It'd be great if someone had a platform like that. Yeah. And I think that whole concern is just not really relevant, right? Like, This idea that because I did a video about, you know, a, a specific model of gun and then somebody somewhere used that, I, I, I find that to be, even in our litigious society, very hard for those dots ever to be connected in a meaningful way in a court of law. Unless I said, hi, Frank, you need to take this gun and go do this horrible thing, and then Frank does it. I think there's where, or if I'm, and, and you would get deplatformed from YouTube anyway, if I am knowingly, giving out specific information on how to do things that are illegal. 
So yeah. while technically it's, you know, and there's books out you can buy that talk about how to, you know, you know, file down a sear and, and make a semi-auto into a fully auto. Like if I'm doing that and somebody uses that, well, that's that would maybe get connected, right? Because the guy still did it. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a there's an opportunity there, and I don't know of anything yeah. like that, right? Like where people can find each other because I think there are like when you go on YouTube, yeah, you can find the the, the you know the handful of people who are huge. But if I'm, you know, a guy that's, let's say, like I knew a guy that, small time, he would have been a small advertiser. He built rear aperture style sights that popped right onto an SKS with no real modification. Pretty cool little, so it basically put a sight on the back of an SK that was similar to the sight of like a, an M1 carbine or an M1 Grand. Popped right on, worked. Like that guy doesn't want necessarily somebody that's got like, Five million subs is going to cost a fortune, but he might want twenty or thirty guys that you know got fifty thousand, twenty-five thousand people. Throw them some money in a site each, and being able to find those people would be valuable. Well, and the other thing is, is that he might not be able to keep up with the demand of someone with a million followers. Valid, absolutely valid. I mean, you know, having a, a major influencer pick your brand up. Is not necessarily a good thing for your organization if you're not ready for the search. No, that's that's totally the case. The smaller I didn't even think of that, but you're dead on. Um, if if somebody was interested in creating a firearms channel on YouTube, where would they start? Because I think there's a lot of people here that probably would like, yeah, I'd like to give us a shot. You know, there's there's several content creators, smaller content creators like me. We we advocate of pull your cell phone out and just start filming. You know, it, you don't need to have a big production, a big studio, lighting and stuff. If you're going to the range, you know, have your buddy hold a cell phone while you're shooting a nice, you know, 357 with a big flame coming off the front of it and post it out on YouTube. You know, create your channel. You can do Instagram and stuff like that. Um, even in YouTube, they have the shorts feature, which is videos, you know, shorter than 60 seconds that you can get a lot of views just off of something really cool. And then use that to start building up your thirst for doing more. Well, what happens when I want to do a product video? You know, and people start talking about, you know, all right, well, I got to get stuff to do videos on. Open up your gun safe. Pick a gun. It doesn't matter if that gun is, you know, you bought it yesterday or 10 years ago. Just do a video on it. Pick it out, you know, talk about it and show features off of it and, and just learn on everything that you already have. You know, worry about editing later. You know, I, my first video is heavily edited and even I look at it now compared to where my videos are today. And I look at it and just cringe going, wow, that thing is, it, it was cool for its day, but it really is kind of an awful video. But if you but, never did that video, the video you did yeah. yesterday that's badass would have never happened. Exactly. I mean, uh, the, my my answer to stuff is the only better day to do your channel was yesterday. You know, just just get going because you have no idea where it's going to lead. I have no idea that my channel is going to lead me to where I am today. You know, I'm on like version 2.5 of, of how I do stuff. I'm already looking at where I'm going to be at version three. 
And that was four years. You know, I wish I had done the YouTube channel when I first got my FFL because I would have been doing it for like 12, 13 years. And where would I have been today if I'd started doing it back then? Boy, and think of the, 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 the soft serve content. You know, oh, yeah. if, if you had somebody that, that, that got a gun and, that, that, you know, like if they ordered it or whatever, so you, you, you spent some time with them, like just, you know, you, you create like, you know, Jose Cuervo, see, the guy, you don't give away the guy's name. You know, he bought a uh, Winchester Model 70 and a uh, 260 Remington and we're up here in Montana. And while you think of that as a mountain state, like this guy actually likes to go out in the West and hunt pronghorn. And this is why he bought that gun. Right. Like just like it's, it's like it's like that's an example of like everybody out there that's selling guns right now. Like you could literally be doing a video a day if you sell a gun a day or more on why your client chose the gun they bought. And that yeah. that's something yeah. I've never even I've, I'm sure somebody's doing it. I haven't seen it. And I would find that highly interesting because I'm not the I, like. I, I know nothing fancy is really, really well known and, and whatever, but I'm not that guy. Like, it's not that I don't respect the guy. I just, that's not my content. Like, I don't care that you weighed it and it was 0.1 grams more than the manufacturer said. I'm not worried about the exact muzzle velocity of, you know, uh, a, a 280 Remington because I know it's somewhere in this range and, you know, gun to gun it'll vary or whatever. I, I don't, I don't care about all that. Some people do, but, The reasoning behind why somebody chose, and I think that's interesting. Like we just found a niche, just bullshitting the two of us, right? Yeah, like totally. there's so many. Like people are like, well, I don't know. Everybody's like, no, no. It's like that. It makes me think of the dude back in the 1890s. I can't think of who he was. He worked for the U.S. government. He wanted to close the patent office because he yeah. said literally that everything that needed to be patented had already been done. And it's the 1890s, yeah. right? Like I think that's how people think today. Like this is unlimited the niches you can come up with. Well, I mean, you know, when I was in FFL, I had, um, you know, out here in Montana, when we first moved here to Montana, we started hearing people about taking elk at 700 yards. You know, growing up in eastern Pennsylvania, 100 yards was a long shot. I yeah, because you can't even, like, most of the time you can't even see that far in the, in the PA woods, yeah. man. You know, it's... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, either either that is either you couldn't see that far or at the house. You know, so you couldn't take the shot anyway. We come out here and I hear people taking shots at 700 yards. It's it's insane. Well, being an FFL, these people spend money on their rifles. And, you know, I've seen, you know, 16, 20,000 dollar rifles come through my logbook. I mean, I hear that they're ordering this thing directly from the manufacturer and I'm starting to scratch my head going, I don't even want to drop this rifle. You know, I'm, I'm scared to death I'm going to do damage to this rifle because I can't afford that rifle. It, if if I would have given someone a, uh, hey, you know what, I'll do that transfer for free, but when you go out to shoot it, let me do some footage, they totally would have let me do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, why would they say no? I mean, yeah, I mean, they got, a, they got a free $20, $20 transfer they just got for free for letting me stand next to them and film. Well, and like, so then it opens up a whole new thing. Like, you put money into the gun, but you really, when you start talking about long distance shooting, precision shooting, et cetera, you know, where you put your money is in the glass, right? So that's a whole, yeah, like, totally. like, people want to be like, well, what am I going to talk about? Like, whatever, like, you're not going to run out of things to talk about. 
in the world of guns. There's too much. Like one of my really old videos, and I mean this is a terrible video. It's like and it's like 12 years or more older, and it is on um, floating a rifle barrel and what that actually does. And that thing still gets views every day. It's 12 years old, yeah. and it's a terrible video, but it's the content, and it's actually having somebody explain something in a way that you've had explained to you before, but you didn't get it, and now you do. Like, I think yeah. that's part of being a good presenter is speaking a language that's understood, because if you're just throwing off all types of, like, multisyllabic words and sounding smart, it doesn't really help the person that doesn't understand that's tuning in to learn. Yeah, totally. And, and that's kind of where I started with my channel was I got frustrated with people doing like disassembly, reassembly videos and like, okay, you do this and they, they do it too fast and the video is too dark and you can't see and you have no idea. They're like, we're going to put this sear in and they do it really quick. And then you're looking at a pile of parts going, what, what's the sear? And you know, I don't need to know how it works, but you at least got to show me what it is. I, you know, I learned nothing from your video. Thank, thank you for wasting some time. Um, so yeah, definitely if you're doing educational content, slow down, speak in, speak English or, or human and show people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have left comments like, gee, that's 90 seconds of my life. I'll never get back. You don't want yeah. comments like that unless it's, you know, if the person's just being a, an asshole. But if they're serious, like, that's, you know, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking to be an educator in some ways and an entertainer. I mean, that's, it's edutainment, right? Like, yeah. um, we do hear a lot about firearms content being demonetized. Um, I think we kind of explain what that means already to people. I think people get it. Like, you just, ads don't run or limited ads run. But why do people tolerate it? Why do people that have these big channels just keep kind of going back? Is it just because there are other ways to, 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 to make this work out? Yeah, there is. And what they do is you'll, you'll hear the thing like, I'm done with two, YouTube. And then a year later, they're still popping content on YouTube. Um, you know, I've been demonetized and, and, and they'll go through all that stuff. They're actually just kind of playing to emotions because, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, ways of making money, you know, you have your ad revenue, well, that got taken away from them. Well, you know, on the backside, they may have affiliate marketing or paid sponsorships or, you know, things like that. All they're doing is they're getting people riled up. They're, people are watching their content more. And in the back end, in their analytics, they're looking like a better channel. And they may get more paid sponsorships. Or if you don't monetize a video, You can put an ad right in the middle of the video. You know, if you put an ad for a, for a gun right in the video, uh, right in the middle of a video, you'll get, you'll get that video pulled from monetization really quick. Well, now they can sell ads in the video. Um, you know, they can do ad placements. They can work in their affiliate marketing. They're driving a revenue another way and they're just getting you worked up to do that for them. Now, see, one of the things I've always advised people to do, and I don't care if it's five, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you are doing a YouTube channel on something like my buddy there, Guga, that's cooking. And as of right now, YouTube has no problem with videos on cooking. But he cooks. He's Brazilian. And so 90% of what he's cooking is meat. Who knows? Maybe the vegans take over one day. Like, you could have your turn in the barrel, if anybody knows that old joke. Um 
that you need to be forming relationships and avenues of communications with your community independent of the platform. You need to like either be running a website, building an email database, selling something to... Like if I can sell something for Smith & Wesson, I should be able to sell something for Jack Spearco. Right? So yeah. like, are you taking any of those approaches? I am. Um, you know, I'm working on my affiliate uh, marketing right now. You know, I've been, I've done affiliate marketing since the beginning of the channel. I just, I, it's something I'm not good at. It's something I'm working into it now. Uh, in the backside, you know, the smaller, smaller content creators have a hard time talking to larger companies because, you know, the, you, you're like, Hey, I have 30, 35,000 views per month. That's great, but I'm talking to that guy that has a million. So why do I want to talk to you? And he's driving revenue for me. So there's communities in the backside of smaller content creators where we, we share information back and forth. It's like, Hey, um, you know, I want to, I want to talk to XYZ company. Has anybody dealt with them before? And somebody may speak up and go, Hey, yeah, I got a, I got a scope from them. I talked to this person. Um, you know, this is kind of what the company looks for. And then you can kind of custom tailor your message to that company of how you can help them drive revenue and at the same time help drive your audience, you know, to, to watch more videos and you get, you know, more interesting con content. So I think we're in, in different vein, uh, lanes there a little bit from what I'm speaking of. Okay, it's great that maybe you end up setting up an affiliate relationship and that's able to drive some sales and you're able to make some money and that that is independent of YouTube's revenue, but it's not independent mm -hmm. of YouTube. If you do not have your subscribers' oh. personal information, so I'm talking about more about building a database like where yeah. you have the relationship so if so that you can leverage the relationship outside of the platform so YouTube becomes you're on board for your people, yep. but then you you have that like you know Patreon is one way YouTube creators do that. I hate Patreon though because now you've you've brought in another sh uh, digital share crop, right? Like I know yeah. it makes it easy, but like honest to God, you can throw a membership platform for nine bucks a month on on a WordPress platform for fifty dollars a year in hosting, and all of a sudden you own your you own your relationships. Like I think that. In all aspects, people need to start thinking that way because you don't know when somebody in the Twitter mob is going to find something you said when you were in junior friggin' high school and destroy you. You really, but your yeah. people. The thing is, they 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 act like when that happens, they act like that person was actually destroyed. They weren't destroyed. Their people don't usually don't give two shits, right? If you made your whole world in veganism and it turns out that you're There's pictures of you like chowing down on on Muya burgers. Okay, right. But usually, when they say somebody was destroyed by the mob, what they really mean is they were deplatformed, and their people would still be there if they knew how. Yeah. So uh, that is something I'm. Um, I've talked to other content creators that are much longer, to, uh, larger than me, and you know that's where. And I'm working this through now. That's where your newsletters come in. Hey, would you like to, you know, you know, join my newsletter? We'll send you a newsletter of what's coming up and what's going on. And free ebook. I don't care anything. Just get yeah. that, get that connection, man. Yeah. Well, and the 
the newsletter is a really good way for the, the gun content creators because what if you do get deplatformed? What if YouTube just suddenly goes nuts and goes, you're out of here and they kick you? You can at least tell your audience where you're at. There are other platforms to go to. They're not as popular, but they are there. So if someone is a fan of yours, they can at least follow you. And yeah, sure. At that point, you could, you could sell some other products through there. Or if you do come up with an ebook, awesome. You know, do, do that through a web page. You know, I have a web page. It's monetized. Uh, you, know, you go there, you'll see ads and you'll see banners and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely building up the database is important. You know, you got a lot of these guys that, um, do especially big content providers, right? A lot of them, they, they don't have to buy anything anymore. Even if uh, a company won't give them a gun, they'll send them a gun for two weeks or whatever, and they'll you know send it back or a part, an accessory or whatever. Um, there is kind of this belief, I think, of people that you guys are just shills. You'll shill whatever you know is is presented to you, whatever opportunity you have for content, like. How do you fight that stigma? Well, internally with the content creators, we kind of laugh. Um, we have like this little fake hashtag we call Will Shill for Money just to, just to get a laugh out of each other. But that is a, that is a true thing. Um, there are some people that go out there and they will, they will say, you know, I, I am, I like XYZ company. No matter what they do, I like XYZ company. And they're going to send me a product. It's going to be the greatest product in the world. It happens. You know, one, what I, what I like to tell people to do is, you know, even if I do a video and let's just say I do a video on some new rifle, don't just take my word for it. Watch somebody else's video because, you know, I may have tested that rifle. And it worked perfect for me. I didn't have any problems. But somebody else may have tested it. You know, I, I'll, I'll shoot it in Montana. It's a 72-degree day. It's awesome. Well, somebody in Alaska decided to test it in the middle of winter when it's 10 degrees out. And they got a failure. Uh, watch different content creators to see what they do. You'll eventually pick the shills out. You know, you know, what you were talking about where they'll send you a, a, a product and then you have to send it back. It's called uh, T&E or trial and evalu evaluation. Uh, when I accept a product and I, I've had a few, I will, you know, I will tell people I will give you a fair review of your product. You know, some, some people, especially the Amazon people, the, the stuff coming out of China, like we want a good review. I won't give you a good review. I'll give you a fair review. And what that means is that everyone's going to know what I think of this at the end. It might drive sales for you. It might drive sales away from you, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to violate my integrity with my audience just to give you a good review. Yeah. I think there's so, value in having some reviews where you just trash the shit out of stuff. Like, Yeah. There, I have one from a, a emergency survival radio from years ago, and it wasn't given to me. I did buy it. When I, I have been offered product for review, and I've said, okay, and I do what you do, I'll give you a fair review. And if it's really shit, I generally don't actually do the review because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste mine, and this is garbage and don't buy it, right? But what I'll usually do is the person that sent it to me, 
yeah, yeah. Here's bullet points of what I'm gonna say. Do yeah. Do you still want me to do this? You know, and they'll like send it back. Like send me, you know, give me a label or whatever. I'm not paying to send this piece of shit back to you. Um, but I think when you're like, this is garbage, then you you gain credibility with people, right? They're like. Yeah. Man, that was harsh. I mean, that that Cato Voyager radio. They're like, oh my god! Like, there's a point where I just like throw the accessories across the table. Like, this is in my face. Is like, would 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 I buy this? And I look at it like, I don't know. I need a beer because I can't. I got a headache from looking at this thing. Like, and people are like, holy shit! But obviously, the next video where I say, hey, look, here's a good one. Like, that has more credibility right out of the gate because I just told you this is garbage. I think the other yeah. side of it is, like, accessories maybe is a different world, but there are not a lot of guns that are total pieces of shit because if you make a gun that's a total piece of shit, then... No one's going to buy it. No one's <laughs> going to buy it, and you can't make a gun that's dangerous. You are going to get yeah. sued into a shit stain on a sidewalk. If you make a gun that blows up or whatever, like people talk about guns like that, I was kind of ragging on the Beretta uh, M92 when we got on because of your little icon chick with the Berettas, because uh, <laughs> your wife likes them, you know. But in the end, I mean, they're they're not a horrible gun, and there's not a lot of horrible guns. What I do find is there's a lot of horrible accessories. Yeah, yeah, there there are, and um, you know, one thing to the listen to content creators. You know, people, let's, let's just take accessories. Let's take red dots. There are $25 red dots you can get on Amazon. There are $500 red dots you can get from any other, you know, huge place to buy gun accessories. Is that $25 red dot better than that 500? Probably not. But listen to what's also being said, because some content creators will say, you know, it, this is the best, uh, you know, entry level affordable red dot. And people are like, but I, you know, I use this and that. And EOTech like, yeah, 5, not, 9, or 613 yeah. with a sideways asshole sticking out of it. And I can't believe you're yeah. endorsing that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just realize that what the content is created for, you know, if, if you have a kid that's, that wants to play with a red dot, you're not going to spend a $500 red dot. You're going to go buy a $25 one. Let him go beat the crap out of it. He's going to put it on his Daisy 760 BB gun. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to have a $35 BB gun with a $500 EOTech on it? I don't think so. Yeah. So, I mean, you have things like that. It's just like, guys, just, you know, chill out a little bit and realize what the content was actually created for. You know, it's he's not going in and giving you this big red dot. Yeah, and before the BB gun police get me, Crossman makes the 760. Sorry, guys, because the BB gun police will come, and they'll tell me I'm a they dumbass, will. and I don't know. Like, that's one of my favorite things. Like, I don't really get that on the podcast. Like, I misspeak on the podcast. Sometimes I'll listen to my own show to critique it, and I was like, you said that wrong or whatever. But when you do a YouTube video and you misspeak, like, I, oh, I and I'm talking to people in every freaking industry had Corey that does an aquarium channel on the show one time and like he was talking about how the goldfish police came to get him and i'm like i didn't know there were goldfish police he's like dude online there's everything police that will come tell you how stupid you are uh dixie our our uh jessica mills that you know does uh question and yep. answers for us on hiking and all she's like yeah there's there's water filter police that'll tell you you're stupid because you brought the wrong water filter like it's amazing, and it seems like YouTube is a place where, more than any other place, this kind of, like, 
I am the wisdom of the world, and it is my job to watch all videos and be the police of this thing because I'm smarter than everybody else. And I used to delete those people, and what I found is infinitely more enjoyable. I respond to them and accurately and sometimes meanly, and then I pin their comment to the top. And that has been like the most amusing experience. And I'm not, I don't consider myself a hardcore YouTuber. I'm a podcaster, you know, but that's been kind of fun. Well, well, what's funny about that, you know, I, I had, um, I did a, I, I did a video on the Beretta 92, but it's a dedicated 22. It's not a conversion. It's an actual Beretta 92 that's 20, that shoots 22 long rifle. Uh, my wife bought it. It was literally the last thing that we bought when I had my FFL. Because she thought it was kind of cool. So I did a video on it. And it's not made by Beretta. It's made by Umarex. Well, a lot of times when I do my filming, it's at like 3 o'clock in the morning because I'm an insomniac. And I work all day. So I said Euromax on the video instead of Umarex. And just, uh, I think like three days ago, someone jumped me on the channel. like, All right, that video has been up there for a year. The Beretta, for, the Beretta clone police got you. See? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and you spell it, your Marax? I'm like, yeah, I have, I have, you know, I'm, I'm an insomniac. Sometimes I say things weird, right? I'm like, whatever. You know, if you, you want to call that awesome. Uh, I don't care. I'm, I'm moving on. Um, <laughs> you well, know, have you ever noticed this? The more mouthy a YouTube comment, the more likely it is if you click on that person's name and look at their channel, it's going to say, yeah. this channel has no content. The I've, people that do nothing, and I think part of it is just being dicks, but I think the other side is, I don't think people who have never done content-based videos understand the work. Like, you think, like, well, I'm going to, you know, because what you say to yourself is when you start, let's say, a gun channel, what I'll do when I pull my gun out to clean it and service it, I'll just talk about it when I do it. It takes you ten times longer to do yep. anything and video it than it does to just do it. And so people well, don't realize the work that goes into it. Um, presenting is a, a skill onto itself. Like, I don't think people have an appreciation. Like, people have, it, it's part of what I call information deflation, right? So, like, yeah. In the 80s, if you wanted any information on the new Winchester, you know, whatever, then you had to go to a store and you had to buy a copy of Field and Stream or Outdoor Life or Sports of Field or Guns and Ammo for five bucks. And if you didn't do it, guess what? You got whatever your buddy told you about it. That was it. Now, you know, some new gun comes out and there's 800 articles and videos about it online in five minutes and they're all free. And what that's done is in the mind of the consumer, and I'm talking not of the, the product, but the content, has devalued the information to the point where, like, there's an entitlement attitude. I am entitled to the information the way I want it, as I, as I decided I wanted it. And, you know, Frank, that's being a little bitch in the audience, literally is not even worried about anybody else. He wants Frank serviced the way Frank should be serviced. And those people are, you know... They're fun, actually, if you learn to have the thick skin and deal with them in creative ways. Well, well what's funny is, is those comments can actually serve you two ways. Um, number one is when I get those comments and I, I look over and, and there's stuff like, and, you know, this channel has no content. I go, hey, you know, I was watching your video on the, oh, wait, that's right. You don't have one. 
And I get to do the, I get to, you know, get my comment in and everybody sees that the guy's just being an idiot. But it does number two is when he gets pissed off and then comments back. And then if you comment again, what you're actually doing is you're actually showing YouTube that there's more interest in your video and YouTube yeah, you have engagement, right? So you start showing up yeah. as associated videos so, and you get more traffic because of dummy. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's why I, I pin that yeah. shit to the top because then people dogpile. Right? Then yeah. your other followers are like, what is wrong with you, dude? And then like, now you have all this engagement and next thing you know, Hickok's got a video and they're, they're, you know, you're popping up next to them, right? Yeah. I, I did a YouTube shorts video. Yeah, the short videos can, you know, really help you out because, you know, I had a, a video about, you know, some steel targets that I got that I was just, I couldn't get out to shoot because we were in fire, you know, we're uh, uh, level two fire restrictions, so we couldn't go outside and shoot because we might set off a forest fire. So I just pulled the thing out in my garage and I pulled an airsoft gun out and I just started shooting it with an airsoft gun just to, you know, put something out there. And people just went nuts over that video. Uh, you know, you had the airsoft people like, this is great seeing somebody like actually use airsoft. And other people like, that's not a real gun. This is stupid. And, and the comments were flying back and forth. And it ended up being like in like a couple of days, like 22,000 views of this 19 second video. And it kept getting driven because there was this little fight going on between the airsoft and non airsoft people. And it was just kind of funny to watch. And I'm watching the stats on my channel just kind of going up and I'm picking up subscribers. And it was kind of funny that, you know, just a little a little video of 19 seconds can drive traffic to your channel. Absolutely, man. So this has been a, a really great discussion. Tell people how they can learn more about you, find your channel, connect with you, etc. Sure. Uh, my YouTube channel is The Rogue Banshee. Um, you can also reach me on my website, which is trb.fyi, and uh, also the Rogue Banshee on Instagram. The Instagram, you can kind of see a little less uh, content and maybe a little more of my private life on there. So exactly what is a Rogue Banshee, man? <laughs> so when we were coming up with our the, the name for the channel, my wife and I were coming up with the name of the channel, and... Um, you know, we didn't want to be tactical or, you know, any of this, any of these buzzwords. But we had the, this, this dog rogue that we have now. Um, we, we lost a dog about six years ago. Uh, her name was Banshee. And we swear that Banshee was reincarnated as rogue. The mannerisms and everything were the same. So we went, we came up with the rogue Banshee. That's very cool, man. That's very, I would like to believe that one of my future dogs will be the reincarnation of one of my past. That would be, uh, that'd be a cool thing. And, and, and what a cool way to play tribute to him. So I'll make sure that there are links to, uh, your channel, Instagram, Facebook, your webpage, all of that in the show notes today. And, you know, thanks for spending about an hour with us today and, uh, talking about something I, I'm always happy to talk about, of course, guns. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Um, what is it? One thirty, three o'clock ish, three thirty ish. Uh, show will be up and live. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. Well, well cool. That was fun, so man. Much. Yeah, it, it was a blast, and I, I, I've been listening to you since the Jetta days. Oh wow. 
so, so I've been I've been with you. I when I uh, when I um, <laughs> when I got off the screaming guy, um, you know, the, we were going to burn it all down guy. Yeah. Because uh, when I first listened to him, I, I I was listening to that going, this is hilarious. This guy's funny. And I'm like, oh shit, he means this. Stuff. <laughs> he like actually believes this. I need to I need to find you know I need to find somebody who, like actually means what they say and that's I you know there's this crazy guy driving in traffic on, on a little tape recorder <laughs> so but no it's uh, I said that it really is kind of a bucket list thing and technically this is the second time I've been on your show because I got the honor of calling you a jerk in 2500 oh cool <laughs> thank you I appreciate being called a jerk. <laughs> That would have sucked if I would have done that. No one would have called in. <laughs> uh, yeah, what if, yeah, you got because didn't that show end up being like three hours long? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Anyway, man, I need so, to roll. I need to get something to eat, yeah. and like I said, I'll get this all edited and up. Sounds good. Thanks, thanks for letting me uh, jump on. I all really right, take, appreciate it. Take care, bro. See ya. Bye. Well, like I said, I think that was a nice, fun kind of kicked back, laid back show in con contrast to yesterday's show that was a little more intense. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, definitely check out, check out Jason's uh, YouTube channel. It's really good. Uh, and check out his website and all the other stuff. Again, it is all in the show notes. You don't have to worry about writing it down or anything. Uh, as always, I always make sure that any resources we mention are in our show notes. And sometimes, not today, but sometimes I'll say, we'll have this or whatever, and I miss it. Email me, make a comment, anything, guys. If I promise you something and it's not in the show notes, it's just because sometimes I make mistakes. So let me know, and I will I will always backfill it for you. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you guys that if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. How could you ever forget? tspaz.com. You can always remember that. You go there when you're going to buy something online. You start your shopping there. Even if it's not something we specifically recommend, uh, you will still help us out. However, I have great recommendations from you. Everything there, I either own it, bought it, uh, and would buy it again, or I would not recommend it for you. Uh, today's uh, new product of the day is pretty awesome. It's a little book. costs about 11 bucks, and it's called Bitcoin Money. A Tale of Bitville Discovering Good Money. And it's a children's book. It's actually written by the Bitcoin rabbi himself. And yes, this is a real rabbi. Uh, I learned about him on Peter McCormick's podcast called What Bitcoin Did. And I'm like, this is a great idea, this book. Again, it's called Bitcoin Money, A Tale of How Bitville Discovering Good Money. Um, and it's a kid's book. And the Bitcoin rabbi's little daughter is seven years old, and he wrote it with her in mind. A seven-year-old beginning to understand Bitcoin and blockchain and how it works and what the principles of sound money are, etc., and just how it all works. But you know what he really did? He made a book so that people would get it, read it to the kids, and actually learn about Bitcoin because, yeah, this is a book for you. If you are still struggling with, if you're the person that says, I don't get it, or I get it, but I don't get it. If you're struggling to understand Bitcoin, yes, it's a children's book. Yes, it's valuable for kids. Yes, you should get it, and you should read it to the kids in your life. But I think you'll learn a lot from it, too. And, you know, an $11 investment is not that big of an investment to make to understand the most revelationary thing to happen in money in your life. And that's the truth. That's what Bitcoin is. And if you check this book out, 
you will find out that, yes, that's really what it is all about. It's like Bitcoin for dummies, except have you ever noticed the four dummies book looked like a 1980s telephone book for a mid-sized city? Like, if it's really for dummies, how, how is it 300 pages of fine print? You see what I'm talking about? This is, when you say for dummies, you want simple, easy. And I'll tell you what, those of you that do understand Bitcoin, get it anyway, read it to your kids. Those of you that understand Bitcoin and you struggle explaining Bitcoin to other people, and you're not sure how to explain it to other people, and you want to talk about Bitcoin with other people, and you want them to understand, even if you don't have kids around, you get this book, read it, Because I have found that being an expert in something isn't really about using a lot of fancy words. It's about being able to take someone who doesn't understand a thing and help them, if they're willing at least, to quickly understand the thing. So whether you want to be a better educator, a better influencer of the children in your life, or just better understand Bitcoin yourself. Check this out again. It's called Bitcoin Money, A Tale of Bitville Discovering Good Money. And I want you to think about something. When you simplify things and you add storytelling to them, humans pull that information up a lot easier, and they commit it to memory, and they understand it a lot easier. So check this thing out again. Bitcoin Money, A Tale of Bitville Discovering Good Money. You can find it at tspaz.com, where you can always support us no matter what you buy, as long as you start your shopping there. So, song of the day. What could be the song of the day today? Needed something to do with guns. Come on, guys. It had to have something to do with guns. We have a gun show. Whatever. Um, Leonard Skinner did a song a long, long time ago, back in early early mid-'70s somewhere. It was called Gimme Back My Bullets. And this was, I mean, growing up, You know, what you do, you go out and bought a car, right? It's usually some older, big block V8, whatever you get your hands on, a Monte Carlo or something like that, right? Like whatever you could afford when you were a broke-ass kid in the coal region. A lot of times they had old-ass freaking 8-track tape decks in them. You ripped that thing out, you went down to uh, like Radio Shack or whatever, and you, 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 like the first thing you did to this old piece of shit car was put a stereo in it that probably cost more than a car. You threw your, your your amp in there and your six by nine speakers in the back and your tape deck, and then you started playing music and driving the car faster than you should. This was a song that made you drive faster than you should. When I when I got this song off of YouTube, there were actually several comments of people that wrecked cars driving it too fast listening to this song. And there was a little tidbit that I picked up, and then I checked on it. it turned out to be true. I did not know this story. Back when, when Leonard Skinner first started doing this song at concerts, and they would play this song, people would throw bullets up on the stage. Again, Give Me Back My Bullets, a hell of a song for driving to, a hell of a song for listening to, and a great song to match today's show. Take care, guys. It's been Jack Spierko, another edition of the Survival Podcast. <laughs>